time to take a deeper look. See what's on the horizon. Check if the earn is out or underperform the guidance. The good companies always striving for innovation. While the bad, short-sighted, often get complacent. But we plan for the future and look for action to take now. So gather around. It's time for the breakdown. Ah, hello, Jolene. Good afternoon slash evening. They know who we are. Do we need to actually have our, our, our names? You know what? Names on, names off, names on, names off. I want my name on, okay? Okay, there it is. And, <laughs> of course, our lovely brand. <laughs> How are you today? Hot. I had to turn my fan off. Talk about taking one for the team so that the audio wouldn't be messed up. For the record, I said that you didn't have to do that, but, you know, I don't want you out here hyperventilating. If I croak in the middle, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's hot, though. It is blazing saddles. Yeah, it, it is pretty hot out here in these streets, but we're going to power through it. Uh, where should we begin? Oh, yeah. What's good, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe and accompanied by my side to, I don't know which side you're on. Are you on my? Okay. All right. So what's good, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe, and welcome to the Come Up Series. But we have a little something special for you today. Today, we are introducing us a little something new to each and every single one of you. You guys have seen us with Trade Talk Tuesdays and Hot Take Thursdays. And I mean, and those were pretty, you know, those were pretty monumental, you know. But today, we want to introduce you to a new brand, which is called the AF. Whether events, yards, class, or the calf, we're all connected to the AF. And this is kind of like a special, like our little kickback in which that, you know, we're thinking about it from the stance of a collegiate perspective. Back to school is coming. We like to teach. We love to do it for the culture and everything else. So why not the AF? And if you went to an HBCU, you know what I'm talking about. But if you didn't know, let me go ahead and put you into the know. So pretty much there was the yard where everything went down. And then there was the AV in which that you left the yard to literally go towards places like class places it was all connected it was that one long strip so what we kind of look at in this financial literally eh, financial literacy space is there's a lot of things that are very much so interconnected whether it be economics whether it be markets whether it be startups real estate financial planning budgeting you, you name it the whole list the kitten caboodle so it's all here for you and we like to bring it all in one compact message for you but here we go all right so um Let's get some of the stuff out of the way. Like, for example, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button down below because we would really appreciate that. And I think that you'll appreciate the content, which is a boatload that you can get for the free 99. And on top of that, if you like what, what we do, like, you know, we try to be out here for the culture, go ahead and hit that like button because it'll bring new people into the fold. So, and we like that, right? And then on top of that, if you want to be in the know, all right, who was it? Who was it? Take a wild guest chat. Who was it? We already know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to cousin Kwame. Yo, you've just been on it and we are here for it. So, you know, you know the vibes. All right. So if you want to be like cousin Kwame, go ahead and hit the bell. So that way you can be a part of the notification squad, AKA the cool kids club. But first I must make a strong introduction to my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, good friend, all things galactic. And on top of that, we see you with the vibes over there in the background or whatever, give it up for none other, the lady of Leisureton, miss. I got to switch it up. Totally. It's Jolene. You see a place to be with desert cousins on this fine Tuesday. 
Hope y'all are doing great. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So um, first things first, before I even get today's episode even going, I definitely want to send a special shout out to my lovely wife, the person who holds me down beyond the cameras and everything else, beyond the startups, the investments and everything else. She is the person in whom wish that keeps me strong. She keeps me fed. She keeps me mentally there and everything else. So shout outs to you, babe. Love you. Here's the seven years of, of just an awesome journey. And I can't wait to do seven more infinitely in the sense of 70 times 77. So let's keep it going. Um, I love you. So tonight I dedicate this episode to my lovely wife, Miss Erica Monroe. Hey, black love. It's a beautiful thing. In the building. In the building. All right. So Jolynn, you know, yes. there's a lot that's been happening lately since June 16th, but you know, let's talk about August 16th. And what went down today in the markets? In the markets? In the markets? All right. So we have the Dow coming in at, um, let me see, it was up 239.57 points. Uh, we're now at a level of 34,152.01. Shout out to uh, Walmart and HD um, playing a role in the Dow uh, today. We got the S&P 500 up 8.06 points and then right now we are currently at a level of 4305.20 and the nasdaq the nasdaq i feel like it was doing fine at least microsoft was doing something in the beginning and then it kind of went down a little bit so we have uh the nasdaq at negative 25.50 points however we are still occupying levels of 13,102.55 the vix came down a little bit to 19.69 and the 10-year treasury note also came down a little bit from yesterday to 2.82 percentage points heading over to sector performance as you know there are 11 sectors and we like to track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like so we have consumer staples consumer discretionary and financials holding it down in the top three and for the bottom three we have technology energy and real estate now if you um, have been with the come up series you know where to find our um, picks aka the sips just head on over to our instagram page at that come up series and you will find those picks just scroll through and you will find what those um stock picks slash sips are coming in at number three we have or number one rather we have joanne fabrics which is fitting mark that you um, dedicated the episode to your wife because that was one of her picks so joanne right. um is up 6.69 percentage points restoration hardware y'all are out there buying them cloud couches how many more can you buy we got five point four one percent percentage points to the upside and then we got target at 4.57 percentage points to the upside now for the bottom feeders we have fang which is the oil company negative zero one point eight three percent then we have ftnt negative two point one one percentage points and in phase holding down the very bottom spot at a negative 2.72 percentage points mark i will note that if you look at the range of joanne fabrics at 6.69 percent and then in phase at negative 2.72 percent that's not too bad of a range like lately we've been seeing the downside on um, the bottom feeders like over five percent so we're just starting to kind of get back into um less than five percent so that's pretty interesting Another interesting thing, Mark, was all the news that was going on, like major things that impact yeah. my stock bay. Um, but we could talk about more about that later. But um, the 
Inflation Reduction Act, which has nothing to do with inflation, was just recently passed by Congress. Um, President Biden will be signing it um, into law, I believe, next Tuesday. So basically, that just means that companies making over $1 billion will um, have to pay a minimum tax of 15% plus a um, 1% on stock buyback. So if you notice, there have been a lot of companies rushing to buy back now before that um, goes into law and they will have to um, pay that 1%. So um, 1% might not seem like a lot, but when these companies are making a lot of money, that is a nice chunk of change. And That's a lot. It, yeah, it's a lot. And I believe it will help the deficit, the U.S. deficit by, I think it was, I forgot how many um, years, but at least $300 billion taken from the deficit, even though the deficit is in trillions. But, you know, at this rate, everything helps, right? Um, yeah. Mark, did you see those, um, the uh, mixed reality headsets from one of your favorite companies and then another company, Apple and Meta? I did. I did. Those are just signs of the times, Mark. Signs of the times, Web 3.0 and all these technology stacks that we've been talking about since I don't know when. It's all starting to come up, you know? I feel like it's like it's all coming back, <laughs> like the song says. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, take this into consideration. A lot of these things were supposed to hit the streets well before you know like 2022 but of course mm -hmm. given that we had a pandemic that hit and of course we saw supply chains really get shocked alongside with manufacturing and literally just the closing down of things a lot of things got pushed back so like things that we thought that were going to be released in 2019 or 2020 significantly got pushed back um off of the table uh companies saying hey well we've got time we can go ahead and reiterate or say for example make better in our usage of products um, so we're seeing like small iterative uh, releases within products, services across the board, you name it. And I think now that we're getting to that point of, I don't know if we're out of the woods yet when it comes to inflation, though that we saw that some of the data showed that it was peaking. But remember what Cousin Chuck had said in our previous last time that we sat down here at this table. <laughs> exactly. Um, he said that, you know, don't let this one data point just be the end all be all, you know, we're going to need some validation and some verification of some of this data. So seeing it maybe on another basis or getting another economic read that tells us that essentially that we truly flatten and where you start to see that we start to come up out of uh, those inflationary peaks, that will be something in which that I think that anybody who's really very astute and studious to this process they're looking at. So those are some of the things in which that, you know, I think that everybody should really pay attention to. And of course, seeing exactly how they have a direct impact within specific markets, not only just the technology sector, but across the board. So whether it's travel, uh, industrials, I mean, energy is having a field day because of the fact that, you know, of course, when we have a scarcity, we saw that essentially that there was a lot of money to be made there. So, that, of course, there was a lot of pent-up uh, demand that was going to hit, especially when people start going back to work. So I think that this is awesome. I think that what we're seeing is, of course, um, I think we already had this interview a while back where Kathy had said that pretty soon we'll get to a point where we start to see that the broader market starts to, the broader bull market, start, it starts to broaden itself out into other sectors outside of just, specific sector. So I think that this is a good thing that we're starting to see unfold in front of our eyes. 
exciting and new. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Mark, today's title, um, State of Investing in Financial. Oh, can I talk today in financial literacy? Um, you no. know, that that it almost sounds presidential, you know. Um <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, just as a heads up for everybody out there. I honestly did not mean it. So well, Mark, we do have a couple of questions that came in um via okay. Instagram. So I would like to get a couple of those questions. Let's um, do it. Off the docket. Let's see if I can pull it up. Alrighty. First question. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. First question is, what's better to invest in, a mutual fund or an ETF? Um, good question. So, I mean, they kind of move about the same, but again, it's like ETFs have become a lot like stocks uh, in the sense that they move exactly like stocks. I mean, look at XLY, XLK, SMH, FDN. I mean, I can go down a list of many others. I mean, if you don't want the heavy duty amounts of volatility, then definitely go with mutual funds. But at the same token, if you want, say, for example, a lot of times people are looking for that, that significant return, they're going to go for ETFs. I'm not a financial advisor to be able to tell you that. So in my particular case, I've tried mutual funds in the past. Not for me, per se. <laughs> um, that's not the type of it's not the type of return that I like to go after. So for me personally, <laughs> like me personally. Not trying to gaslight anybody. <laughs> I like ETFs. Yeah, um, I'm of that camp as well. Just mainly for me, it's mainly about the momentum and the return. Um, you know, yeah, it just moves. It moves and it grooves. Okay, so yeah, and, and it forces you, and it forces me to have to look at. Uh, well, I mean. Mutual funds also have some pretty cool things with built in within them. So I don't want to just like, you know, literally rain right. on that parade. I mean, they're pretty cool, too, and they're very good investment instruments. But again, it depends upon what is it like you as the investor, you have to ask yourself, like, what is it that you're looking to get out of it? What are your goals? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And also, what is your time horizon? Also, I mean, sometimes in certain cases, when you have certain volatile markets, I mean, mutual funds can actually perform a lot better than your normal ETFs versus whereas when in markets where you have a reestablished bull market or a new bull market that's been established, then you'll probably see the ETFs uh, run better. But again, it varies depending on what is it that you're looking for. So again. Yeah, I mean, if you're for growth, I definitely think ETFs are the way to go, especially when you do your due diligence. But when, you know, the market is highly, highly volatile, like you said, um, and you're not sure where you want to put your money, I could see a mutual fund being somewhere where you park your money. But as far as growth goes, it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> okay, so next question. Um what are some signs of false positives in the current market? Oh, oh man, you see those all the time. So for example, false positives within the market, let's first take off with, let's start off with the economic reads when we see data numbers come through. And it's actually gonna get into what I'm talking about, um, what I'll go into in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, 
So some of the false positives that we see that can, that you can definitely see, like for example, when we saw CPI number or PCE numbers, when you get a specific read, and it could just be based upon like, maybe this was just a, a small moment, a small blip in time that maybe caused things to slow down. So like, let's take food, for example, we saw that food had, had or we saw that energy had came down and it's like, everybody's just like, okay, hey, that the coast is clear. But that may not be the case because I could possibly show you a false positive by saying that, okay, hey, things are good. But at the same token, look at the road down ahead, which we're going into a cold season. And if we go to, into a winter season, then we expect energy prices to probably be a lot higher. And then on top of that, when we look at in certain arenas, food could probably may have slowed down in, at one particular arena. But then on another hand, we could probably see that in the next month that food has spiked. So the cost of food has spiked. So those could be, say, for example, listed as false positives. Another false positive within the market, if you're looking at about it as a trader, you know, the easiest thing is, is like, you know, I think today was one of those best days in which that you saw where it's like you saw the market like literally go down early in the futures market before the market had opened. And mm -hmm. then essentially it's like the market kind of like rebounded. And then, of course, everybody thought that, OK, hey, the coast is clear <laughs> and the market is like. <laughs> and then all of a sudden just fall back um and that's where it comes into the place where it's like okay hey knowing support and resistance levels knowing exactly where is it that you know where we're going to reach the breadth of a level for the market i think the that level was probably at 4290 or in some change before we hit 4300 um another thing that what we can look at is when we see like a golden cross on where the 50-day crosses over the 200-day moving average on a specific stock or position. And then you say, okay, hey, well, the coast is immediately clear. And then all of a sudden, their earnings say a different story. And then, and then of course, it's like you bought in when you saw that it just reached the golden crossing and that all things are good, all things are clear. And then all of a sudden, the stock goes down another leg lower. So there's so many different things in which that you can look for as it pertains to false positives. Um, and that's why we always look for a thing called confirmation. So it's like, just because you get the first read of a number, that is never the end all be all of anything. You always look for, okay, hey, what are some of the other data points that I can point to? Mm -hmm. And then also, is it okay if I just sit back and wait for the verification that says that, okay, hey, that this is where we're going. A lot of folks thought that we were going down to 3,300 in the S&P 500 or 3,500, and that we were going to go another lake, that we we're going to drop to another lake lower there. And they were looking for specific data, but then the market was like kind of like saying that mm, we're not really there yet. But then at the same token, the market is enjoying a great run right now, knowing that there's not going to be any Fed rate hikes in the month of August. And we won't really hear of anything until September. So, again, everybody's thinking that the coast is clear when in reality it possibly isn't. But is the bottom there? We don't know yet. I mean, well, I think in my personal opinion, I think that the bottom is in. I think that essentially that the worst of what we've heard as it pertains to earnings from some of those companies is already there. But again, that's based upon data from hearing from companies, looking at earnings reports, listening in on investor or annual shareholder meetings, those types of things. They start to give you a much more brighter or much more clearer picture versus just looking at one specific data point. Awesome. So can we get into today's um, topic? Sure, let's go into it because a lot of folks have been asking me and let me go ahead and make that. Let's see if I can make this transition. So um, give me one second. All right. 
making sure that all is good over here. And ah, there you are. All right, boom. So we're going to be going through a lot of data, <laughs> just as a heads up for everybody. So I'm going to just go full screen so that way everybody can have access to what they see. And of course, so that way we're not blocked by anything. Sorry, uh, sink over bird and let you go. Um, <laughs> all right. So we have this up on our screen here. Can everybody, If you can see it on your screen, make sure you just say, hey, Mark, we can see it. Um, so yeah, I want to make sure everybody can have it on their screen. All right, so let's go through it if we can. I think everybody has it, right? Yeah, you're talking about the GDP quarterly? Yes, okay. sorry, it was taking a little bit of time and loading up on my screen. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody was good. Yep. We can All right, so let's get to the nitty gritty here because, you know, here we are, we sit here and, you know, a lot of folks are asking economic slowdown now, recession coming in 2023, right? So here's what we're gathering right now. We're not in a recession right now. We do have these two quarters of negative GDP growth. To some extent, a recession is in the eyes of, I guess, the beholder or whoever, you know, whoever you're talking to, whether you're talking to you know, the United States government, the Fed or whomever else. And of course, we got to sit down and talk to Cousin Chuck, and he kind of like gave us his uh, perspective um, on what he saw as it pertains to whether or not we were in a recession. So with all the job growth in the first half of the year, it's hard to say there's a recession, right? Because, you know, how are you going to have a recession with job growth? All right. So with a flat unemployment rate at 3.6, because we've been sitting here for a minute. Um, it's hard to say there's a recession. And that literally comes from none other than St. Louis Fed President, uh, Mr. Buller. All right. So such a statement certainly, is, you know, it pretty much is warranted. Much of the economic consensus that two quarters of negative economic growth constitutes a recession, as shown the latest GDP report, indeed met that measure. Okay. So, of course, you have your peak and then, of course, you're starting to flatten out and then, of course, you go negative. Um, so, but... Some indicators suggest the economy is in slowdown, but not yet in a recession. For example, our our composite um, says that, you know, when we look at it from survey data, uh, since services make up about 80% of the economy today, there is currently support for economic growth. However, the data trend is negative and supports the view of an economic slowdown. So what does that mean? Let's look into the next slide, shall we? So pretty much when we look at this, we look at ISM, so which is the Institute of Supply Management, right? And that's where we get into those, that's where we get into the nitty gritty, where we see that, you know, as you can see, where we started in 1997 on this chart, and of course, where we came all the way down in 2020, we saw that we were pretty much at a significant drop. But now we're well above the ISM number. Normally it's about like 50, I think it's like 51 or 50, which is pretty much a good read. And it looks like we're in the process of getting ready to recover in this number. But again, this is where we talk about false positives, where it's like we see this, but then at the same token, we have to wait for the next set of confirmation to let us know that are we out of the woods? Is the coast clear? Or is this again, yet again, it could be a false positive. 
So, but then we have unemployment. So employment also remains extremely strong, which we hear all the time with the unemployment rate near historic lows, which, you know, is crazy to me. Such does not support the statement a recession is not underway. But low unemployment rates are historically pre-recessionary and will reverse quickly as a recession takes hold. So if you look at it from when we saw low unemployment rates, look at the spikes in which that we start to see when we find ourselves in recessionary points, hmm. we start to see these immediate spikes to the upside. Now, of course, try not to look at 2020 because of, of you know, right. I mean, his, historically, <laughs> there is a huge discrepancy between the two. But if you look at, let's say, financial crisis, if, even if we look at dot-com bubble bus, um, even if we look at, say, for example, coming out of the 80s, where we where we had significant unemployment spikes after the Reagan years. And then, of course, it's like, you know, the 80s, the 70s. You see these significant trends and where you see spikes um, in in the chart where it shows you that, OK, hey, we were we were sitting here at un low unemployment rates. And then all of a sudden it's just like we just we just spiked out of nowhere. So while neither measure suggests the economy has entered a recession yet. Um, it should not like literally bring you to the decision of like, okay, hey, that it's not possible. Many indicators suggest individuals feel like the economy is in a recession, such as, you know, our next thing, which is the composite uh, consumer, let's see, if, yeah, composite consumer indices. All right, so when we look at this, right, a recession environment has uh, was was present when consumer confidence and expectations declined below 80. So we have both of those. So con consumer confidence has dropped below 80. And of course, consumer expectations had also dropped well below 80. And that, if you normally notice, when you look at those timelines during each of these periods of time, don't they look familiar when we see these same type of charts? Though that they can kind of like slightly inverse exactly what you just saw in unemployment. Hmm, interesting. Very, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's put this into perspective. So, for example, and it's kind of interesting that I'm having this, like, that I'm going through this after we've had Chuck on the show, but it's like, I feel like, you know, to kind of, like, keep it rolling, you know, so that way it can kind of set the stage for the conversation, I feel like it's warranted. So while Mr. Bullard uh, of St. Louis and others currently directing the monetary policy uh, suggest that uh, they can quell inflation with only an economic slowdown. History suggests otherwise such and because the Fed makes its policy decisions based upon lagging economic data. Now, of course, I'm not the only one that says that. Chuck said that and many other folks will tell you that it's a lagging indicator. All these things in which that I have just presented to you on your screen are pretty much lagging indicators. GDP, you cannot see that in real time, though that you can get some data from specific Fed, uh, Federal Reserve banks, in which that, like, for example, if you look at Atlanta, Cleveland, or many of the others, they will tell you specific parts of data that can literally point you in the right direction, but even then, still a lagging indicator. Now, of course, if you want to be a, you know, makeshift analyst, go within your own communities and start asking businesses those questions. Like, you know, what are you seeing? What are you, what are you, some of the things that you're not seeing? What are some of the challenges that you're facing? They do the same thing, except they probably just pick up the phone and call. So you never know. Just survey the data, survey your community, survey your city, and you never know. You may get some pretty cool data. 
All right, so let's go on to the next thing, which kind of like is this thing that we've been hearing about all year, right? So the Fed is basing its ability to hike based upon strong employment rates. However, historically, the Fed rates to a point uh, where something breaks. So that breaking point occurs because the real-time economy adjusts to monetary policy changes. However, data suggests that, you know, as unemployment and inflation can take several months to catch up to the actual economy, notably, roughly 40% of CPI is homeowners equivalent rent, um, which has roughly, you know, it's about a three-month lag. And so to kind of give you guys an understanding of what we're seeing here. So let's see if I I have it here. Yes, I do. So where we look at CPI and you see where we are. So as you can see, that's where I mentioned as it pertains to that, that CPI number. So roughly 40%, but look at the target. So again, it's like target is 2% where we currently sit is about what it's, I think it's like 8%. Um, And so again, you know, these are the things in which that you may want to look at and just literally just have these numbers just penciled in. Um, of course, Federal Reserve target is about 2% or two or about 2.5%. And so, you know, as shown, if inflation dramatically slows dramatically to just 2% annualized, it will take until the end of 2023 to return to the Fed's target rate. Any higher rate of growth keeps inflation elevated much longer. Now, of course, given this effect, which is clearly a lagging indicator, the Fed will continue lifting rates to slow economic demand. Now, of course, Chuck said that they are the bank of banks. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's like, you know, this will definitely favor your banks um, in the short term. But then, okay, it literally starts to linger its way through other arenas, especially other folks in whom which that require lending and whatnot. So. The actual impact on consumers and economic activity is not reflected in CPI on a timely basis. So this creates the probability of the Fed over tightening monetary policy, turning an economic slowdown into a more severe uh, economic contraction. So, you know, I always like to say like, okay, hey, well, what does history tell us? Well, here's a wonderful chart that gives you kind of like what we're looking at. So Federal Reserve and financial crisis. So taking all the way from 1996. So now none of these things are indicators that it can actually happen like that. So I want to make sure that I put that out there for the record. So for all we know, the Fed could literally, you know, you know, have the keys of like the to the to the fountain of youth or something like that and figure out exactly how to literally find a way to make the economy have a soft or softer landing versus having a significant crash um, that literally sends us into a recession. So monetary supply also tells us that the Fed is likely uh, making a mistake with its current aggressive stance on inflation. So inflation is the consequence of restricted supply due to the economic shutdown and increased demand from stimulus checks. So the massive surge in M2 money supply has reversed and has about a nine month lead on inflation. So when I say this, I'm gonna get to that slide in a second, but look at the time that every single time that we've seen that the Fed has essentially made a move and look at 
what has transpired in the process. So, of course, when we had dot-com crash, we had Fed pivot. When we had credit crisis, we had Fed pivot. When we had, say, for example, coil, uh, COVID crisis and oil crash, of course, EU crisis was on the horizon. We saw a Fed pivot. So, again, um, the crash of 1987, which I think that's more so your flash crash. But, again, it's like you see over periods of time, you've seen that essentially that looking at the two-year treasury yield, you know, and that's why they always say that the 10-year treasury versus the the 10-year yield, when you see that inversion, that's normally around the time in which that you see that, okay, hey, within within the next, you know, what is it, 12 to 18 months or even nine months that we could possibly be in a, re- in a recession. I didn't get the slide that shows us the three months, but, you know, I, I believe that that's way more accurate. But again, it's like, you know, history kind of like points to it and says that essentially that we could probably be seeing a Fed pivot. And by that time that we see that these things transpire, of course, you know, depending on how bad the economic situation is, it's like it typically has a negative impact on the market. Now, is the market naturally pricing those things in now? Because, of course, when we look at it moving forward, it's like we didn't really see those large dips in the market until we saw the pivot really take place. So something to just keep in mind on the horizon. Mark, there's a question uh, related to that. So yeah. someone said if the three month slash 10 yield curve does invert, would that cause extra would that cause extra cause for concern? Yes. Because the, if you look at it, I mean, you know, we can always say the two year over the 10, but if you look at it historically, the three month versus the 10 is far more accurate. So, yeah, it's just something to just keep in mind. Um, there was another question related to the Fed. It's, um, the question is, at what rate do we see the Fed ending its hiking cycle? I think that we'll probably see them uh, in their hiking cycle. Um, we can either see them, we could probably see them end it at the end of this year or going into the early part of next year and then start easing rates in 2023. So we could probably see the Fed uh, ease rates because if that's the case, especially if they say, okay, hey, you know, soft landing or it wasn't as soft. Well, we could prepare the landing with throwing in a little bit of slight quantitative easing, especially if we're if we're in a recession. Because when you find yourself in a recession and you know money needs to get going, then you're going to have to do some quantitative easing to as a simple steroid shot to wake the economy up. So, you know, I think that you know if and normally when you find yourself in recessions, that's when that's when the economy gets its adrenaline shot. So I think that this is smart in which that the Fed is doing everything that they can to clear their balance sheet. And you normally do that. So that way, essentially, you could prepare for the next thing that could potentially come down the pipeline. But who knows that, you know, you go from COVID-19 in 2020 to then in 2023, just three years removed um, or not even well on the third year anniversary. You see that the Fed literally starts to have to do quantitative easing all over again if such a thing were to happen. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so when I was talking about like monetary supply, this is what I meant by like, for example, inflation above the long-term average, which is uh, 2.7% and then pretty much uh, advanced over the nine months. You know, that's essentially what we see in, when we look at the, the periods of time. So M2 money uh, versus everything else. Uh, that's where I said that, you know, pretty much it's reversed and has about a nine month lead on inflation. Um, 
So while the Fed is hiking rates to, you know, to, to tame inflation, the contraction of the money supply is doing the job for them. So like, for example, when you see things take place within the stock market, that's why you hear people say, well, the stock market was doing majority of the Fed's job for it. So let's let's dive a little bit a little bit deeper, shall we? Because, you know, as the Fed continues to hike these rates, each rate hike roughly nine months to work its way through the economic system, right? I mean, okay. so every single rate hike that we go through, you're going to see that take place about nine months before it actually impacts, or before you start to see those impacts. So therefore, rate hikes from March 2020 uh, won't show up. Um, and then on top of that, in the economic data until December. So likewise, the Fed's subsequent uh, and more aggressive rate hikes, you know, the ones that we saw, the 75 basis points, mm -hmm. um, won't be fully reflected in the economic data until pretty much early, mid-2023. As the Fed hikes at subsequent meetings, you know, that we pretty much heard, whether we're going to hear about some things maybe even at Jackson Hole, which will probably take place in September, um, pretty much those hikes will continue to co compound their effect on a highly leveraged consumer with little savings through higher living costs, right? So as we have seen previously that the consumer is exceptionally unprepared for such an outcome. And that's where I was saying like the state of not only the investor, but the state of financial literacy and, you know, each and every single person, you know, because, you know, this is, this is really when you look at it, it's like, it shows the point where incomes and savings fail to support the living standards. So, when we think about it, given the Fed, you know, and where they're at, you know, as you can see, you know, filling like the orange represents the filling of the gap, the gap between disposable income and the cost of living. You start to see a huge discrepancy between the two and then the consumer per capita. So, you know, something as you can see that that's a huge, very much so inverse of differences so meaning that things are getting more expensive and mm -hmm. like chuck said that you know prices don't expect price like economics will ultimately rebalance and we'll see equilibrium but ultimately don't expect prices for certain things like you start to see like for example wages and stuff like that those start to become set they don't go backwards they keep going higher and so do costs so Economic output. So given the Fed, you know, of course, manages the monetary policy, but they're looking more so in the rear view. So pretty much everything is a rear view mirror for them. Uh, more real time data suggests the economy is rapidly moving from economic slowdown towards a recession. So the signals are becoming clearer from inverted yield curves to six month rate of change and leading economic index. Um, so you know, a lot of times, and this is where it's like where where we start to see that where a lot of folks were really upset, you know, when they heard um, news coming out of the White House telling us that, you know, hey, there's we're not in a recession. <laughs> but the data says otherwise. And just because we're one thing to, to make sure that I'm clear for everybody mm -hmm. is that. Um, just because we're in a recession doesn't mean that, again, 
we're going to literally, you know, see that this is like, you know, it's not like 2008 financial crisis. It's not going to be like dot-com bubble bust and stuff like that. You know, every recession is different. It's just a time and period where you see that things have slowed down. Now, of course, do you see contraction within companies? Yes. Companies start to, you know, peel back and say, okay, hey, we've had an exorbitant amount of spending. We've invested X amount. And then, of course, those investments have to come back. And here's another thing to take into consideration. Those investments have to solidify themselves. So let's say if Nike says, okay, hey, that we're going to invest in renewable products and, you know, bringing in bleeding edge tech for how is it that we advertise our products or those types of things. And we spent billions of dollars to go into that space, right? Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, that's going to take time to solidify. When we think about Amazon investing billions of dollars into one day delivery, that just doesn't happen right then and there. There's a time period horizon in which that they're going to go through a significant amount of spending. And when they reach a certain critical point, you know, you tend to find that it's like it's around the same time that we see that economies start to like get to their place of slowdown. And then it's like now we're going to start cutting back, but we're not cutting back significantly. So like when I hear about Apple cutting back on like 200, you know, contract workers and, you know, say, for example, a company laying off X amount of folks. As a company, you're going to do these things to essentially become more lean so that way, essentially, not only one, you're protecting your bottom line, which every company looks at. But then the second thing that we also look at is this other piece to the pie, which is, you know, when we think about it, it's like the product is already completed. We've already gone through X amount of testing. Now it's time for us to start shifting the product into the marketplace and seeing exactly how it sticks with those things. It's like, you don't need to spend as much, you know, sooner or later, those levers start to turn off and essentially start to close those levers. Now, the beautiful thing about it is it creates other opportunities within other spaces. So for example, you know, one of the spaces in which that you're probably going to be seeing, you know, like AMD companies like AMD spending more money in is within the car space after they've acquired you know, a company like Xilinx, understand that that's a $27 billion market opportunity for AMD and why they acquired a company like Xilinx. So, Mark, you know, the, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. Go ahead. Oh, no. So I was just saying, so when we think about, like, why is it that we start to see slowdowns in spending, you know, these companies have exorbitant amounts of cash in which that they can keep the cash burn going. They can still keep their burn rates running. But the thing is, the question is, do they need to? right now okay so in these times when the companies you know they're spending money they're acquiring things um and um solidifying their places in the market like as far as investor behavior goes so that backdrop with the economy possibly slowing down like how do investors move in that scenario so wait say that again because i didn't hear every single one of those pieces so with companies, um, you know, cash heavy companies, right? Investing mm -hmm. in um, increasing their market share um, yep. and pulling that with the slowdown that you're just talking about, how do investors move? Is it one of those things where you look at that as a potential opportunity to buy now and just wait? Or is there some midpoint? Because, you know, that that whatever they buy, it might not pay off. It could be a total bust. 
Well, here's the thing that I can kind of like look at, and I'm going to actually pull up a chart, and it's very rare that you guys actually see me do charts, but, you know, hey, I felt like it's very fitting tonight. So let's pull up a chart. Like, let's look at Apple, one of the most favorite, most beloved stocks within the market, right? So this is Apple on a daily basis looking at it. Now, of course, we can look at specific events in which that we can say, okay, hey, this looks like, okay, hey, well, one, we're, we're out of the woodwork almost. So I think we're, what, 2% from the low or from the high. Um, but it tells us a story of things. Of course, we saw that the that this was around the time that we heard that the Fed was going to be hiking rates and ultimately getting more aggressive, aggressive in its tapering process. Um, and then, of course, the market tried to rebound. Of course, we had some earnings here. Um, and then after that, it's like we had more downside, but there was a lot of things that really transpired here. And then, of course, we went back up to the upside again to, to re-challenge that level in late March. And then, of course, it just became all downhill. Now, here's the thing. What everybody else sees is just right now the reaction of everybody within the market or what the market, you know, how the market responded towards earnings and everything else. But here's the thing that people tend to not pay attention to. And I'm going to look at, let's say, let's go here to July and I'm going to change the candles to open close. And I think that, yeah, so July 28th. So for anybody here, like hopefully you remember what July 28th represents, uh, where my mouse is, that's where Apple had reported its earnings. And of course, you saw this immediate pop when it came to Apple. And it was like, you know, the earnings didn't break but they were bending. But here's the thing. When we get this information and as investors get this information, this is where it comes into play where information has to be digested. Mm. Like that's the major piece there that a lot of folks don't really take their time to really pay attention to, which is the digestion of information. Now, we see this happen all the time with institutional money, where it's like, okay, hey, a new data point. For example, I'll give you a fine point that can prepare everybody. We all know that Apple is going to release its, its AR, VR glasses in order to compete against, um, you know, Meta and also to, like, bring out its world of its AR kit platform, which they've been producing since, like, what is it, 2016, 2017? And they perfected it within the iPhone as well as within the iPad uh, devices. And now they're looking to bring this into a wearable item. Now, funny thing about it is, is the fact that we've seen people like Dan Ives and many other analysts have talked about like the different pieces of information in which that they've received and notice the type of op where they always talk about market opportunity. There's this thing called market opportunity where we see it and it's like, all right, well, this is a, let's say, a $20 billion market opportunity or a $100 billion market opportunity. Jolyn, do you remember back when, I think this was around the time of 2018, 2017, one of those two years, okay. where we heard about Apple investing heavily within its services business, and they really started putting services revenue mm -hmm. um, into their earnings. Now, remember when it's like when we started seeing that, when they finally peeled back the curtain of that. What was the one thing that we heard analysts always talking about when they started talking about services revenue? I honestly do not remember. That's I okay. Remember. That, that, that's why you got me. I was just trying to. I was just trying to see if you remembered. Mm -hmm. But remember back in the time when they said that okay, hey, that this could be an opportunity that eclipses. It's a bigger business 
than some of its other products in which that they sell. Oh, yeah, because that's when they were focusing so much on the software and it became a shift and the focus moved away from iPhone itself as the right. hardware piece to the software that could really take things to the next level. And that's when they were talking about the, they started going heavy on like health and um, looking at the different software um, services that could incorporate, you know, health, music. That's when that bundle came out. Yep. Family bundle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why does that matter to everybody? The reason why that matters is because of the fact that you're going to see many different opportunities within the marketplace that are literally going to tell you about, hey, that this is this opens up another market opportunity. So when you hear a company that's acquiring another opportunity or another company, listen to what the analyst is telling you as it pertains to this is the potential upside market opportunity. Now, when the market doesn't agree with something, they're going to say, well, you know, we don't really see the strong opportunity here because either one, the company is already within its space. And so they're really just acquiring a competitor to just like literally take up any customers and really just add towards any existing revenue um, and maybe even point towards a cover up of potential weakness that can literally like, you know, mm. you know cover up the scab or be a bandaid. But when we look at like the innovative companies or companies that have strong, you know, most sets around them, they build around those things and increase the opportunity. So a lot of you always ask me like, well, Mark, why is it that you only talk about tech companies? Because they're the easiest for you to be able to spot a lot of these trends and items. Now, you could take these things over to the industrial sector. You could take it over to the energy sector. For example, when you look at energy companies that are literally bringing in exorbitant amounts of revenue, significant profits because of the fact of what we saw as it pertains to spikes within the oil market. I mean, the beautiful thing about that is the question is that everybody's asking is, where are they going to spend their cash? If you guys remember back in some of the previous episodes before those energy earnings came around, I said, watch and see what their, what their CEOs or what the company believes the direction in which that they're taking. If they're going to just literally just, you know, increase their dividend or do a share buyback, the smart companies are literally using that money to literally make reinvestments. So which means that they're trying to turn themselves into growth. They're trying to go into growth phases. Hmm. Companies that are in growth phases don't really focus that heavily within increasing their dividends or share buybacks, though that if they can do it and still invest in other companies and so be it. But the companies that are in growth mode, they say, okay, hey, we're going to start focusing on acquisitions. We're going to start investing into other arenas, like into private side companies. So, for example, I'll mention an investment. For example, look at a company like by the name of Redwood Materials. You're looking at that in the sense of renewable energy, renewable things in which that we could recycle without having to hit the planet so heavily. And essentially, we could just reuse the materials that already exist. That's going to be a huge opportunity because if I'm an energy company investing into such a space, now I've just diversified my portfolio. So now I'm not just oil or I'm not just basic traditional energy. Now I'm reinvesting into the space that can also give me a play into, say, for example, lithium, a.k.a. battery technology, a.k.a. getting into automobiles and other related items, which city, cities are also going to run on lithium batteries as well in the near future. So those are the types of things where you look for those types of investments where it shows you that there's a growth model opportunity for them within the investment based upon the earnings in which that they're bringing in, which brings me back to a company like, again, Apple. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people only pay attention to Apple, but they don't pay attention to their partners. So you don't pay attention to Skyworks. You don't pay attention to Corning. You don't pay attention to companies even like Qualcomm. You don't pay attention to companies even like, for example, an AMD, which we're starting to see that they're starting to phase out. But again, they still matter. A lot of people don't pay attention to Corning, but they're one of the most influential. They're one of the most influential companies, but they just don't get talked about a lot. But they're one of the major suppliers when it comes to glass technology that many of the other companies, not only just Apple, but also companies like Samsung use very, very heavily. Like these are the things in which that we pay attention to because they give us inside knowledge. Like, for example, how do we look at this? Do you think that Corning is going to be one of those companies that's also going to be a supplier as it pertains to helping provide some of that glass technology for augmented reality and VR? Definitely. Okay. So if that's going to be the place, then I'm going to want to see that within looking at a company like Corning to see that, okay, hey, that they're ramping up their production or that they are working on a new product model. And for everybody, it's like, well, Mark, well, these things may not ever happen. Nope. Au contraire, because it's on record that says that Apple has already demoed its product to its board members. So which means that maybe a product release is quite imminent. Just like, for example, we should probably be hearing about an announcement pretty much in the near future within the next week or week and a half. You know, these are things in which that we look at and it's like, okay, hey, when you study the data X amount of time, it starts to really start to recycle itself. And like institutional investors or like institutional analysts, you know, the the great ones out there, they take this data, they chew on it, they look at, okay, hey, based upon what I'm seeing in front of me, where's the opportunity? And where you spot the opportunity, that's when you start to see opportunities in which that market, that this can be increased towards this market cap. If market cap increases, well, if market cap is going to increase, then stock price is going to increase. And that's ultimately how we can start setting price targets. When we look at the earnings, when we start seeing that maybe earnings are going to come in flat, so then that maybe is going to take a hit on P.E. ratio. If P.E. ratio takes a hit, then that's also going to have an impact on what is it that people are willing to buy at what price which ultimately can bring stock prices down. So if we said that's like that earnings were going to be pretty much in single digits, we're going to expect single digit growth. But it doesn't mean that all of companies were going to be in single digit growth. We saw that some companies were going to have phenomenal years. Like, for example, let's take a look at another company that's outside of the tech space, but that's within the energy sector. Let's look at a company by the name of Devon Energy. Now, if we're looking at it over, let's say, the last two years, Here's Devon Energy over the last two years. Nice chart. Nice chart. A nice chart. Now, of course, we can look at it and say, okay, hey, over the last six months, it's been a little, they've had somewhat of a rocky road, but it looks like we're retooling for another leg up to the upside as we get prepared going into a cold winter. So, I mean, the reason why we put these things out here for you is so that way it's like you can kind of like, start connecting the dots you know again you know where the consumers are or you know what's happening to the consumer you understand the state of the consumer so again if the state of the consumer is this then who's going to be affected you know which part of the consumer is going to be affected is it going to be the high-end consumer or is it going to be the low-end consumer and if it's going to be the low-end consumer where are the places in which that the low-end consumer shops if the high-end consumer is going to continue to keep spending or if they're showing signs of not you know letting up, then what are some of those areas and where the high, the high end consumer buys? 
Makes sense. So like, for example, why is it that we see if I, if I was to pull up a chart today and look at, you know, though that they've been hit just like everybody else. But if I look at a restoration hardware, why is it that if I'm looking at it from a, let's say a year to date standpoint, you know, why is restoration hardware still alive and kicking? And if I look at it over a two year, I mean, again, still doing just fine. I mean, we're pretty much back at the flat level for restoration hardware, which is very, which is very high end retail. But now that we're going into a different cycle, what is this going to look like moving forward for restoration hardware? If we look at restoration hardware over, let's say, let's, let's set a range here. So let's go from, I'm going to see if I can set it by, I'm going to go all the way back to 2004 of January. And then I'm going to go all the way from January 1st and I'm going to take us to where we are today, which gives us kind of like a timeline of every August back then. Well, forgetting the 2020 years, restoration hardware has done fairly well. They're well insulated. It's that higher end consumer. It's the higher end consumer. If the higher end consumer started to, I guarantee you this, if the high end consumer starts to leave, restoration hardware is back to its pre-pandemic levels. Those are the things that we pay attention to. Okay, so spanning out, Mark, on a global scale, Uncle Charles had a question about um, the hype about China going into recession and how it impacts the U.S., what was this question? I'm sorry. He wanted he wanted you to go into talk about um, the hype surrounding um, about China going into a recession and how China's recession will impact the U.S. China's quote. recession and having an impact on the U.S. I mean, yes, it will have an impact on some companies as it pertains to their revenue, um, especially companies that do like any company that does, what is it? 15% or more, or no, any company that does 10% of his 10% of his business or more. And, and in some cases you could say 5% or more whenever their business is, let's just for safety reasons, let's just say 5% or more that their business is in China. Um, then yes, there's going to be impact. Now, what type of an impact? Of course, don't know. But again, it's like markets, are very much so, um, what's the word? They can endure. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that markets stand the test of and companies can say that can, that are true companies, they can stand the test of time. You know, they're resilient. Mm -hmm. They can go through these waves and given that we see that China in a recession, you know, I'm probably sure that we're gonna start seeing China also start to do some quantitative easing if they haven't already started to stimulate their economy. I think that China has put itself into a recession slightly due to slow growth. And on top of that, like what, you know, COVID is really like taking China with a zero COVID policy, which has really slowed down a lot of its manufacturing and everything else. So those have had huge impacts. Um, but is that going to like crash the U.S. economy? No. Just like, for example, if China and China and U.S. continue to keep having spats or like tiffs and everything else, that's not going to crash the U.S. stock market. It's not. 
the reason why is when you look at all the debt that's covered, that the, like when you look at like U.S. debt, who holds it? So you mean to tell me that China is literally going to go through that whole process in order to devalue something in which that is highly invested into? Hmm. That don't make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to literally allow the U.S. economy to crash literally takes away China's number one customer. Oops. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> put them in. Sorry, I'm trying to put them. I'm out. Was the comment going too fast? Yeah. So, impact on oil since they import like forty percent of oil. Yeah. Like I said, expect oil prices to go up, especially as we go into the cold, and especially since we go into the cold season. Like that, you're gonna see you're gonna see those things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, expect them. And the question is, is that you know, as we get closer, the question that you know, I would say, like as a spoiler, when we talk about narratives, you know, ask yourself, is that already baked into the price? Was that already baked into this year's performance? You know, when we think about natural gas, WTI crude oil, you know, where it's now, what is it, below 90 bucks a barrel um, earlier today? I don't know where it is right now. Um, but, you know, those are the types of things where we look at it and we say, okay, hey, well, you know, our investors, you know, is is the it, is the return already there? M- me personally, I believe that there's still more that's coming down the pipeline, especially as we start to see as we get into the colder months, you know, what does that look like? But then again, we see production ramping up. So that also tames a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, you know, as we go into the cold months, you know, before we go into the cold months, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear analysts start to say that we kind of already have those price models baked in. So have we seen the best of what energy has to offer this year? I don't think so, per se, but one could make an argument and say that, yes, the best is already baked in. All right, Mark. Well, you know, that was the state of investing and financial literacy. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, and, I, and it's been sitting in my mind for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And if we are going into recession, you know, some of the things that, you know, I want each and every single one of you to pay attention to is like, Remember this, you know, what we provide to the through the come up series is just so that way it's digestible information for you to sit back and learn and you can grab and like literally use as you see fit. You know, we really do pride ourselves for that. Um, and so it's like as we go into these moments, you know, be very, very careful of where you spend your dollars. Mm. where you put your money into, you know, we pride ourselves to do this. So that way you don't have to do those types of things. Now, of course, if you want a personal touch, by all means, you know, but I really strongly urge, especially as we go into these moments, really think about it. Is it really worth it to spend a significant amount of money, especially in this market or in the market where it's like, okay, hey, you know, college courses are cheaper, you know, at, at a community college or even on online, you know, universities are cheaper. When we think about it in perspective, 
to literally, you know, focus your capital just to buy specific stocks out there. And especially if you're just holding for the long term, I really want you guys to think about that in moving forward. Um, no knock towards anybody out there with a course or anything like that. that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is just be careful because as you find yourself in a recession, you're going to start to see more, more people come forth with money grabs or whatever it is in the sense of giving you information. But remember this, you have this thing called the World Wide Web where the information out there is so much free. It is so free for you. Like the site that I went to today was literally through realinvestmentadvice.com, which gave you pretty much the slowdown now and recession coming in 2023 was the title. And really just breaking it down for you so that way it's like you know what you're looking at. So that way it kind of like, you know, it kind of like lands. But it's like just, you know, understand that, y'all, because, you know, I don't want, you know, folks to feel like, you know, hey, that in this and as we go forth in a deeper economy, each and every single one of you have worked hard for the money in which that you bring in. And it's like, you know, you want your dollars to go to work. Like, that's the thing. You want your money to go to work. So just be, be, be careful. Oh, I also want to add, um, you know, shout out to Bar Chart because every, is it Wednesday? They have um, an in-depth free um, talk on like charts, um, trends, all that sort of thing that can really up your technical analysis for free 99. So Shout yeah, out to both. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's like for me, it's like, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I'll leave that alone for another day. <laughs> I'll leave it alone for another day. It's I'm gonna go spend. I'm gonna go spend time with my lovely wife. You know, and I suggest that each and every single one of you do the same thing. I hope that you guys have gained value from today's lesson and conversation and wish that we just went through. Keep learning, keep researching, because the more you learn, the more you earn. Until next time, I am Mark Monroe. And I'm Jalen GC and the place to be. And this has been your come up live on the Av. If you guys like the title, by the way, go ahead and say something in the comment section if you liked it or if you didn't like it. We're not going to be hurt if you didn't like it. It's okay. Um, but make sure you hit the like button so that way you can get out to other folks for sure. And we will see y'all next week. Peace, y'all.